Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wilsoncroft, and today the FA Cup third round returns. Is the magic of the cup still a thing? Well, Crawley Town say yes, as the League Two side dismissed top flight Leeds United. We'll share our views on the weekend's games, as well as discussing Deli Alley's future. Is a Paris reunion on the way? And should players be cuddling at the moment? Um, also, how far have you gone to show your commitment to a game of football all that to come over the next hour or so and showing their commitment to the game football podcast today it's Alison Rudd Matt Dickinson and Gregor Robertson morning how are you doing morning morning you very well Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So good to hear you guys enthused to be with me. This is this is what I want the future to feel like on the Game Football Podcast. Um, look, I, I'm in a good mood at the moment, but I've got to say over the weekend, on the only couple of ventures out of my house, I was left with the feeling, and I, I wonder if you guys have asked this question as well over the weekend. Where Where is everyone going? Where is everyone going? <laughs> it seems, seems to have There's been on my mind go. quite a bit. Yeah. I, well, it, it, supposedly there is. I mean, there was like gridlocked traffic outside of my house on the Sunday. Where is everyone? I've got absolutely no idea. I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah, it was uh, scratching my head. I've got to be careful because I, I, uh, I did go out for my permitted bike ride and went past one of my... Uh, neighbours who um, was listening to the pod recently when we were talking about COVID and so on and, and apparently I'd said um, I had basically said none of my neighbours are obeying the rules so uh, <laughs> I, he, he gave me he gave me a volley of abu- he gave me a, vo- a volley of abuse as I went past and said uh, I hope you're obeying the rules so um, anyway good to know, it's, it's good to know we're being listened to by my neighbours and uh, if he is listening um, I, I was glad to see him uh, conform- con- conforming strictly to regulations at the weekend <laughs> Good, good. And it's, I'm glad you got out for your bike ride, as did I as well. In between enjoying the FA Cup, the third round weekend, of course, a massive part uh, of the football calendar in England. Um, and I wondered whether for everyone it feels the same, not because of the competition. I know we have that that conversation often, you know, is the FA Cup what it used to be? I'm not really asking you guys that today, but more the feeling of these matches without you know, a full ground because I, unlike the Premier League or the EFL, I still think this took on an, a very different feeling without fans in, um, being present. Gregor, I'll start with you. You've played at grounds up and down the country. What did you make of the games that we saw at the weekend? I thought it was better than I expected it was going to be. I mean, partly that will be because I was at Crawley Leeds and um you know, being inside a, a, a lower league ground, a, a little ground like that with even just a couple hundred people in it and the wild celebrations every time they scored a goal all around me. Um, you know, that's about as good as it gets right now. Uh, you know, you compare that to an empty Emirates stadium or something with a, or a couple hundred people in. Um, and this was, you know, there was, there was some atmosphere and there was certainly lots of joy. And also, you kind of realise that as much as... The, we've, we've heard so much over the last over the last months that you know football is nothing without fans. It still means a hell of a lot to the players, and you know they're doing this for themselves. They're doing it for their teammates. They're doing it for the club and for the people who you know their friends and family and fans who can't be there. But mainly, they're doing it for themselves and their teammates. That's the truth of the matter. And you saw that in some of the stories this weekend, and you know the goal scorers for Crawley, who I'm sure will come on to discuss. You know, these guys have had some pretty interesting journeys and um, just because there's no fans there, it'll still be, it, it won't matter to them. It's a, a day they won't forget, I'm sure. 
Matt, were you watching on at the weekend? What, what did you make? Yeah, of it? I mean, I think it's. I take Gregor's point, and you know, I mean, ultimately, this this is the reality, and there's no there's no point in 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 sort of squealing about it too much. I mean, I guess I did. I mean, the one thing was interesting was the shots, obviously, of the fans, you know, for the Marine game out on the streets, and and you know, obviously, part part of me was thinking, what the hell are you doing, you know there's a pandemic but part of me had that sort of at least recognition that this is what the FA you know I came from a relative football backwater uh, Cambridge which if that's I'll probably get some hate mail from there now as well um, <laughs> but the uh, you know it, to have a big club in town was it was a big thing just to see the coach go down the road to to see famous players get off the bus at your your little stadium is a big deal I mean that is you know as much as you know the fact is that Cup upsets come along rarely. That's that's why they're called upsets. But just to have a big, big names in town, to have Jose Mourinho turn up at your little stadium, is part of the thrill. And um, and so yeah, that's you know we get onto I'm sure, but you know footage of, of fans sort of you know one guy tweeting he's got a picture of of Gareth Bale from his back back window. I mean that's that's part of the excitement. So I I, I was. I think people were latching on to whatever little bit of that sort of FA Cup glamour that they 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 could grasp, and you know, um, obviously, you know, some of the shots of fans in their droves out on the streets is not too clever. But um, you, I could at least, I guess, understand the instinct. I love it when everyone now tries to avoid the word magic. You see. <laughs> Matt's dipping in mag- uh, glamour there. A lot of people use mystique, <laughs> the aura. Everyone's saying we can't use the word magic. I've, 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 banned myself. I've, banned, I've banned myself from using magic. I, I think I said, yeah, I think there should be a forfeit for the use of, of the word magic. <laughs> I got to the second line of the introduction before I called it the magic yeah, yeah. of the FA Cup, to be perfectly honest, but I'm not going to break with tradition now. Uh, Ali, what did you make of the weekend? Uh, let me tell you about a fairy tale. No, no, I won't. Um, I think watching. From a television spectacle, I don't think it mattered too much when the games were at the smaller grounds. The thing that I've always found nice about the early rounds of the FA Cup is that you get 5,000 away fans at a Premier League ground and it completely transforms the atmosphere because you've got many more than you normally would have. They're extra delighted to be there. It might be the first time they've ever been to Stamford Bridge or Old Trafford or wherever. And they make... um, they have, you know, pre- prepared silly songs and they are loud throughout and they bring balloons and blow up things. And it that's that's the circus of the FA Cup. And that's what I like. I've always loved most about going to a game. You you probably don't expect to see necessarily an upset, although in, in, my, in my life I've seen quite a few actually. But you, you go along, it doesn't matter in that sense. What matters is that there's this, this, this transformation and... That's the moment you realise, for all we talk about, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's lost its luster. Um, it does, it, it really does matter if you're outside of the, the top couple of divisions to be able to go on a trip. And, you know, the jokes about, well, you, you, you know, if you're a thief, you know which town to go to. There'll be nobody there. They're all, they've all come down on 50 coaches to whichever Premier League club they've been lucky enough to draw. So that was what was missing for me. I didn't feel it when, when we were you know, Marine, I felt it was even more poetic. You know, little boys sat on step ladders peering over fences and that was just as as quaint as it as it would have been, I think, if there was no pandemic actually. Yeah, there were some some lovely scenes. Let's come to the actual football then. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Marine in a second. I think the shock of the round, let's start with uh, Crawley. 62 places between them and Leeds United. And Gregor, you were there. You can tell me what happened to Leeds. Well, the first thing is they made seven changes, but they still fielded a, a strong team. Um, and the first half, Leeds had some chances. Paveda, the winger, was on scintillating form some of his he nutmegged George Frankham the right back twice and I thought this guy is going to have a long afternoon but Crawley were kind of you know solid uh, very resolute in defence and they also had the best chance of the first half um, Tom Nichols header and in the second half Bielsa made three substitutes which were kind of pretty bewildering he took off experienced players and put on two two kids and Jack Harrison and that just seemed to tilt the game in Crawley's favour, and and they were just clinical. Um, the first goal was 
I'm sure we've all seen it. It was a it was a superb moment for um, Nick Nick Cerula, um, a guy who's had. Well, he seems to have had a bit of an ordeal over the last few years. He had a car crash. He was a former Tottenham youngster. Had a car crash. Was out for a year with with a couple of kind of associated injuries from that, and then he spent last season in Brentford's B team. Um, couldn't see a path to the first team, and he was without a club until October. And John Yems, the manager, was saying afterwards that there's stories like this across that team. The guys who nobody else really wanted, and he came on trial. This is only his sixth start in professional football, first ever goal. And he twisted and turned away from two Leeds players, skipped past Calvin, Calvin Phillips into the box and smashed it home. And then from there, Crawley just went for the jugular, scored again three minutes later and Leeds were kind of, their heads were spinning. And, it, you know, it wasn't sometimes, it was just thoroughly deserved. It was it was extraordinary. I think, I think those three substitutes from Bielsa were... You know, upon reflection, were a big mistake. He threw on, as I say, two two kids who looked all at sea, really, and and yeah, amazing moment for Crawley and for and for John James actually. I should yeah, you know, did an interview with him at the weekend, and he's a character. He's people who follow the EFL will will know him from some of his kind of very snarky, glowering post match interviews, and a couple of them went viral and. On social media, and uh, you know, there's this caricature of him being a kind of old school, proper football man. Um, but he's, he's been in the game for 30 years, always in the shadows, always the member of the backroom staff. And he, he got the job in December 2019, his first real crack at management in his 60s. And he's got a team chasing the playoffs, and he's just, just uh, swatted aside Leeds United. So, brilliant story. I want to know, Gregor, whether you were um, familiar with the work of Mark Wright before you went to this game. I've been reading, reading about this guy as if, was, you know, was this the ultimate insult to, to Leeds? And, and, and I've, I've been telling myself that I reckon Bielsa is probably as ignorant about Mark Wright as I am, which I don't know if that's a sign of my middle age or the fact that I'm just not, yeah, not, not with it with celebrity culture these days. But um, yeah, I, I have to say he was a new one on me. I was aware of Mark Mark Wright and his body of work, um, which didn't, <laughs> didn't involve football. Um, although he played nine games for uh, Crawley in 2006-07, I think, in the conference. And John Yems was the caretaker manager then at that time too. So there's a connection there. And also his brother, Josh, just signed from Leighton Orient. Um, I think the Times did a heat map this morning and he you know, showed Mark Wright's uh, one touch in his uh, couple of minutes on the pitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, that did seem like the ultimate insult, you know. We're, we're 3-0 up, coasting here. Let's throw in the celebrities, the, the reality TV star. Enjoy yourself. That one touch will have to fill 50 minutes of documentary footage, man. I know, yeah. <laughs> Friend of mine's making that documentary. Great stuff on the iPlayer. I'll, I'll be positive about Mark Wright, <laughs> seeing as we're pals. Um, uh, but I think Crawley, um, especially the reaction to what happened, Ali, you know, it showed that the, the FA Cup third round, that that hitting that that for some clubs hitting that point of the competition is like reaching the final, and the emotion from Nick Sarula as well after his goal and what he's been through, of course, as Gregor mentioned, that those are the stories that make the FA Cup magic, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have people bursting into tears in post-match interviews. Otherwise, it's just not worth doing, is it? Um, I really, I really felt for him. I mean, you've, the adrenaline's been pumping. You've scored a goal that the whole world will see, and then the interviewer reminds you you've had a tough year, and then you can imagine it all comes flooding back. You know, the crash, the rejection, and you've got to try and hold it together in front of TV cameras. Um, absolutely. But it was interesting. The commentary team. I, I, don't, I can't remember who it was, but they were quite possessive about Crawley Town, actually. And they didn't like the fact that there was um, a reality TV star coming on who might hog the headlines and indeed hog this discussion and any discussion of the game. And they they resolutely refused to talk about him. <laughs> it was, they said, well, we hope the headlines don't say this was a you know, reality, reality, reality star, um, you know, humiliates Leeds. Um, Although we did actually put that in our own headline, didn't we? Bielsa Blitz by Rejects and a reality star. Uh, you can't get away from it. I know. But, but on a serious note, on a serious note, um, I wrote a piece uh, 
last week about um, what happens to players who, you know, join join a big club aged eight and become institutionalised and survive rejection and call after call and are eventually let go in, you know, when they're 15, 16, 17 and how they're not equipped for that and we need to have a greater duty of care towards them. And I think this round of the FA Cup, Hugh, I, I think that proved that um, it's one it's one tenet of why it matters, I think, because it gives uh, an exposure to shop window for lots and lots of young players who have been deemed good enough for most of their young career to, to be in the big academies, to be maintained by the system. But when it comes to the crunch, simply because the numbers don't work, you, you, you can't keep everybody on. They're let go. And what happens to them? And often what happens to them is they fall completely out of love with football and they do nothing. They don't even kick a ball or watch a, watch a game or they keep trying and they end up uh, way down the ladder, um, probably still harbouring hopes that someone will come and watch them and pluck them from relative obscurity and, and they can sign for a bigger club. But, but you know, they, they, they keep going, they keep going and they're obviously going to have ability and it's no fluke or they're not playing up to the cameras when they score great goals in this round of the FA Cup. It's because they do have, they do have ability. They just got unlucky along the way, whether it was an injury at the wrong time or lack of discipline on the wrong day with the wrong person watching. And that to me is probably the beauty of this round of the FA Cup is that they may never do it again, but at least they've shown the world that, you know, we, we, we've been, we've been, we've been practicing this, this um, career since, you know, most people, when they go to accountancy, they start when they're, you know, 19 or 20 or 21, they've been trying for this career since they were six years old and they've been given a chance to show what they've learned. Johnny Roscoff's piece in the, in the, in the Times today was kind of, on the same theme about about Charlie's players, you know, and you look, you think, Charlie. Obviously, they had to play against Derby County's kids, and the truth is, most of Derby County's kids won't even have a career as good as Charlie's players have had. As and I say, I say that by, you know, as in the longevity that they're still playing at all in their kind of mid to late twenties, and the relative success. They they were promoted to the Conference Premier or the National League the main national league a couple of seasons back and then it was too big a step for them they fell down but you know these guys he went through a lot of the names and most of them had played in the football league some of them played for big clubs I think one played for, for Blackburn against Man United in the in the league cup a team with Paul Pogba and Zlatan and stuff so you know it, it's true the, the margins are very fine and a lot of things are to do with consistency and luck and you know as Ali says this round is a is a kind of is a is a moment where that becomes really a, you know very very clear that the margins are very fine and you know it's a it's a chance for them to show that to prove it. Before I come to the the, the next fixture in the FA Cup, there is a point that I have often thought about when it comes to all these changes being made for work permits and and Brexit and whatnot around opportunities for for these younger players because you know I think that the requirements came out last week and I think to get 12 of your 15 points needed to earn a, a work permit for those coming from the EU now you had to be on the bench in one of the big leagues one time in the previous season to earn 12 of the 15 points you mean you're virtually there from having been a sub basically in a top league and um, I wondered whether that was just going to stop opportunities for some of these players in the academy where I, I had previously thought that this might help players coming through the system get first team opportunities. I don't think that's probably going to happen. And maybe that's inevitable given the money in the system and the, the power of the organisations wanting global stars. But Gregor, I just wanted to ask you whether you thought we're, we're maybe missing a trick on getting some of these players through the system to top teams. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's just always been the way. It's always been players who have, you know, perhaps have lacked discipline at a certain point in their lives or... They've had, as we said, as we said, they've had, you know, a stroke of misfortune, or there's not been a pass to the first team. You know, obviously Nick Nick Tarula is a very talented player, as you saw from that goal, and he's a talented player, and that's why Brentford signed him. But he looked at ahead of him, and he saw a team who was on the verge of the Premier League, and there was no pass. He said, "There's an interview going on later today, actually, about that we spoke to 
Nick after the game and about his kind of journey recently. And he said that, you know, I just didn't see a route to the first team football and I need to be playing first team. He's 21. Um, so it's always been like this though. And I, yes, the, these, who knows what the, the, the future is going to be in terms of how Brexit is going to affect it and whether, you know, we thought that perhaps there would be an opportunity for more of these guys to, they would have to be kind of pushed up the line a little bit, pushed up the ladder. As you say, that may not, may not be the case. If there's any way that these elite clubs can find to to get around that, then I'm sure they will. Under 18s is still restricted. It's what well, is even more restricted now, isn't it? Because uh, as far as I understand, isn't it that right that under 18s can't come from can't come from the EU as as uh, and the rest of the world now. So I think that is. But as you say, I mean that's why Manchester City will you know want to have clubs in every corner of the world so that they can just do it a different way. I guess that's yeah. As you say, smart clubs will try and find a way around. But but I think I still you know I still think there's um, I think it will. At the younger age, it should enhance the uh, the opportunities. As I say, this has always been the way in football. Max, another guy, Max Waters, who was on the bench for for Crawley, who he, because he just had a hamstring injury, but he was released by Doncaster in the summer because they had to because of the financial kind of landscape. They had to axe their under twenty three, so they they released him, and he again he went on trial, signed for Crawley in late September. He scored thirteen goals in fifteen games, and he's going to get a seven-figure move to a championship club this month. So, you know, this is always the way football has been. And, you know, you, people, I think as, as we're seeing, the FA Cup is a chance for players to showcase their talent to a, to a bigger audience. Uh, uh, which is why I wanted to talk about Aston Villa next, because their youngsters did the club proud against Liverpool on Friday night. And it's not the way that Aston Villa would have wanted to show off some of the, the great young players in their academy. Um, of course, hit by COVID-19 positive tests, and we wish all of those affected uh, well very, very soon. Um, but they did show the qualities of some of the younger players coming through Premier League academies because they, they held their own, let's call it that, against Liverpool for the best part of an, an hour. Um, and I think that was a little bit of the magic of the cup as well, but we just weren't expecting it, Ali. But they did show us you know, the qualities that they have. Um, but again, it's it's whether most of them will make it to the first team at Villa. Yeah, I think you hit upon the most impressive element of that performance, which is how they held it together. Um, they, you know, a lot of them were very young and it was a bit cobbled together. It wasn't like a team that had been together itself and playing in lots of uh, matches. It, it was a mishmash and it was an emergency situation. And they... Maybe that worked in their favour because they knew they had nothing to lose. But it does, it, it, you know, the, the Villa should be very proud because it shows the the values of the club and that they they've made sure these young players knew they had a job to do and they had to represent the club and all that was great. Um, but my worry is it doesn't matter how much we drool about them. I mean, I mean, you could you could probably go through the entire team. <laughs> You know, you could go through the entire team and say, oh, you know, give give them marks out of 10 and point out what they did well. Um, you know, Keeper made some really good saves. There was there was good stuff from everybody on the pitch. But do we genuinely think this is a game changer for them? I don't, I mean, I just don't doubt it, really. I, I you know, you, you, I just don't think the way clubs are structured, the way they squeeze through just just the one or two per year but most most of those won't won't make it and that and i kind of think that's sad in a way that you can you can be on tv it can be a glamorous game you can uh, be impressive as a unit and individually but i don't think any of us really believe that you know, in six months' time, we're going to see a different type of Aston Villa first team, are we? Because of what happened against Liverpool in the FA Cup, it's seen as a quirk and quaint, and it's not seen as meaningful. I don't believe. I don't think it's significant. It's sucking the life out of the uh, FA Cup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. It, I think what it's is actually more meaningful behind the scenes and and within the kind of camp at Villa because coming through as a young player coming through myself. And any young player, no matter how highly thought of, you know, Louis Barry is someone who's, who's very highly thought of, come from Barcelona. Um, no matter 
how highly thought the player is thought of the player is until they make that step into first team football and show it and do it and prove themselves and show that they can take take you know make that step and hold their own there's always a question mark over their heads so these guys though they will have taken that step and you know some of them will have I'll have impressed, I'll maybe surprised their managers and coaches. And, that, and that, so it'll be important for their careers. No, it's not going to change Villa's first team in the coming in the coming 12 months or whatever. But it's, it was a huge step for them and a huge moment for them because, and and as I say, it might have changed the opinion of of them uh, for, you know, for some of their coaches. And, that you know, I, would, I said last week that I was a bit worried about the fact that, you know, say Morecambe came out with an outbreak and they were, they went to, they went to Chelsea and and had to play a team of kids. I think you know they could have been humiliated. Um, and then you know a few hours later we heard the, the news about Villa, and it's slightly different because you know Villa are a Premier League team, and you think and they've got this stable of players to fall back on and, and throw into the team. And this was almost heartwarming, even though they lost they lost four one in the end. So you know I was worried that it was going to be. Is this kind of making a bit of a mockery of the competition? And away it is, but I'm just glad it didn't happen to one of the lower league teams because that would have been, you know, that would have been really disheartening to see. There is a case for for lifetime memories and and, and all of that sort of romantic stuff as as well, isn't there, Matt? Certainly for the yeah the lads who who played in it, um, and especially obviously say scoring in it. Um, and as Gregor says, he's a, he's a proper talent. I mean, I, you know, I think. I, I think we have to just muddle through, you know, that's probably the phrase I'm overusing more in life generally than anything. I think, you know, that's what we're all doing at the moment, isn't it? Muddling through and the FA Cup has to muddle through as well. As you, you know, right, we don't want any, you know, 15 nil humiliations. Um, we haven't had yet. But if Derby County have to turn up with a, a bunch of kids uh, at Chorley, that, that's just life at the moment. If Aston Villa have to have to, uh, you know, I, th- I loved that page that we've done in the game this morning where, you know, the 12 cup stories you may have missed and that features a, a pic of the, the a picture of the Villa players, you know, all standing around like outside a minibus looking like, you know, the under 15s from my local park pitch, you know, with, with their sort of, you know, Domino's pizza boxes. It, it's, it's just great. And that's, you know, that's, it's, we get those quirks anyway with the FA Cup. We're probably getting more quirks than ever because of the nature of COVID. And, and, uh, and that's just, I'm afraid, going to have to be, I, I, I don't think we're in, we can't be grumbling about this stuff, you know, unless it becomes, you know, either an issue for, you know, health or sort of so ludicrous that, yeah, like Gregor says, you're sending out Morecambe's, you know, under 12s against Chelsea. But, you know, I think as this, this round got through it in the best sort of as well as we could have hoped, I think. Uh, which brings us to Marine against Jose Mourinho Spurs, Matt, um, because we had some of those images that we love from FA Cup football as well. People watching football from their back gardens and up a flagpole or whatever it might be to try and get a glimpse of the game. Usually there are fans in the ground and you can't get a seat inside, which is the reason why people are peering over. Slightly different this time around, but we still got those images. Um, and it was, look, it was as different as two sides can possibly be. Uh, the salary for the players at Marine tots up to about £2,000 a week, um, uh, which obviously shows you a big contrast. I think uh, the likes of Son and Kane make that in around an hour or so. Carlos Vinicius scored a first half hat trick. They won 5-0. But the reason it was so important, I think, the club, Marine, has lost £100,000 uh, due to the pandemic, but they managed to sell over 30,000 virtual tickets at £10 each. They made £80,000 in prize money during their, their run. They got £75,000 in, in TV revenue uh, for this match against Spurs. So in, in many ways, that alone, the financial side, Matt, underlines how important the FA Cup is. It is. I mean, it's you know, the we could have several podcasts just on the the, the rights and wrongs of how football redistributes its uh, its wealth from the top of the game. But yeah, uh, let's just celebrate the fact that there is uh, the cup competition for some trickle down financing. That's that's for sure. And and you know, this is the sort of bonuses that that boon to a club like Marine that could otherwise take you know decades for them to get in. So you know, you hope they use that mo- money wisely. And it, it you know is. When you say that, it's probably going to have to go on sort of, you know, upgrades to things and paying, you know, paying bills. And, and, and but it, it helps keep, especially obviously at a time when lower leagues have been 
been hit worst of all, it's it's say some part of, you know, welcome redistribution of, of of finances and the fact that yeah they got the sort of the the money from the, the sort of virtual tickets um, all, all much the better. So yeah, that you know it's like when people say let's get rid of the the league cup. You know if if you know fine but if if you do then at least have a plan for how you're going to make sure the lower leagues get m- more money that they would get from that competition um so yeah it it is yeah it's it's a necessary part of of the cup competition that that, that small clubs get a, a payday every now and then doesn't sound like um they spent their money on catering did you see the line in Paul Joyce's report this morning about um James Joyce, Marines man of the match, he said he was speaking to Gareth Bale on the pitch and he said, I saw he was blowing a little bit and I asked him if he was done and he said he was starving. I said, don't worry about that. Club has provided you with a Tesco meal deal for after the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not exactly the glamour of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium had the uh, had the fixture been drawn the other way around. But look, Marine uh, doing their, their club's fans proud, uh, getting to the third round from the eighth tier. Remarkable. I think there are only second or third club to have to have done that um so they got their big game against the premier league side and, and it was good to see as well uh, the draws will be made this evening monday evening if you're listening on monday for both rounds four and five uh, so we'll get to see exactly what sort of fixtures we can look forward to in the fa cup uh, if you want to show us um just how magic you think we are to go along with the fa cup as well give us a five star rating on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast make sure you're subscribed you won't want to miss the next episode you can also get yourself a digital subscription to the times and the sunday times and enjoy it across all of your devices sign up today you'll get yourself one month free go online search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times, uh, where this weekend our very own Alison Rudd has written about a certain Deli Alley, the Spurs and England midfielder, suggesting he should reunite with his former Spurs boss, who's now in charge of Paris Saint-Germain, Mauricio Pochettino. Um, Ali, we know why the player might want to move himself, but you've cast doubt on why Pochettino might want this move to happen. Uh... No, well, I, I, I think probably you, you cast out on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a question of whether Pochettino has made a rod for his own back. In a sense, um, I think the point I was trying to make was perhaps the only decision. It, it's probably it would be more honourable and impressive if Deli Ali was to woo Jose Mourinho and make him realise he's everything he wants for Spurs and I think it's been really hard for Deli Ali to, to get over that Amazon documentary where he was called 
lazy with a swear word in front of it. And it became a bit of a joke. And it became all anyone talked about when they spoke about Delhi Alley to the point that in September, Mourinho said in a press conference, I'm tired of talking about Delhi Alley and I'm tired of talking about the Amazon documentary. Well, you know, he he started it. It was his brilliant quote that everyone latched onto. But it's made it's made a slight joke of Delhi Alley, I think. And it, it's also meant that when he's missed matches, not been chosen, not been selected, it's not been a big issue anymore. I mean, even because Spurs have been doing okay, no, no one's sort of um, laying into Mourinho and saying, what have you done to one of our greatest players? And so when Pochettino took over at PSG, it, it felt like, oh, well, this is how it ends. This must be how this story ends. He has to go to PSG, whether it's just on loan for six months or they managed to, to do a deal he has to be reunited with the manager who, and the reason I wrote the column was on reflection, the player I've spoken to Pochettino most about in those post-match huddles and pre-match press conferences has been Deli Ali because Pochettino will never have, never had a word against him. It didn't matter whether he was diving on England duty, whether uh, showing the middle finger, um, diving for his club, going in two-footed, uh, putting in poor performances, no matter what it was, Pochettino was, you know, ultra avuncular. You know, this player is wonderful. He's wonderful. He's young. You don't understand how wonderful he is. I love him. I love him. I love him. I mean, you know, it, it, the boy could do no wrong. And a new regime comes in. He doesn't like um, the mercurial element of Delhi Alley. He certainly doesn't like the fact he looks lazy in training from time to time. So, and I just, I was just saying, Oh, wow, you know, maybe this is over for him at Spurs. But on the other hand, if he did go to PSG, really, really, is that the sort of player um, you need at a club which seems to attract players with big egos and the occasional lazy moment? Gregor, what do you think? I, I had a, a roommate at university that told me that every player had at least two good seasons during their career because pretty much at the top level of the game, they were all good players. They just needed to be in the right situation, either the right manager, the right club for them, the right style of football. And when they felt comfortable, they managed to perform at their best. So uh, what sort of situation does, does Deli Ali need to be in for the best to come out of him? I think your roommate was pretty harsh on a lot of players there. <laughs> I think, <laughs> at least I mean, two good seasons. Ali, you know, Ali, I mean, when he first turned up at Spurs, he was a, he was, you know, he was so dynamic and and creative and goal scoring and at, at that edge, I just feel like he's, it's hard, he's hard to, to know exactly what his role is in modern football now and what his position is really to be to be blunt about it and particularly in Tottenham's side because now, you've got Harry Kane and two Tyros running after you know. Counter-attacking players who who, um, who are just full of pace and and dynamism, and Ali really doesn't fit that mould. So, you know, he could be in the sort of Endombele role. He could be in a deeper role. I still think he could play in midfield, and and he's got the legs and energy energy to do that. Um, but whether it's whether he's going to, I just got the feeling that it's like Mourinho wants some. He's not really in his plans. Daniel Levy is quite reluctant to to let a player of such value go on loan, or or to lose him because he was a kind of a bit of an emblem of of what Tottenham do in the transfer market and the success they they've had in in signing, signing young English players and developing them and giving them an opportunity. Um, and you know he's only he's only twenty four, so <laughs> it's very hard to know what his future is. I think personally, he probably would benefit from a a period away from the club, whether that's PSG or somewhere else. Um, somewhere where he fits into the into the style of football that, the team, to, that, the, that his team plays. Um, and it might be that he finds a role in, at Tottenham in the future, but I, I can't see him getting in this team at the moment. And, you know, people, obviously he's shone against Marine, but <laughs> you would expect as much. And I wouldn't read too much into that. I don't think he's going to be, um, unless Spurs, you know, struck heavily by injuries or COVID which is a possibility and might mean they don't want to let him go I just can't see him getting a start in birth in this Tottenham sport in this in this uh, Tottenham side 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the the move it would make sense, obviously, being reunited with a manager who's got you know knows you can understand you. If Pochettino can, as much as any manager is ever going to say, you're going to yeah, you're going to play often. Um, uh, it would make, make sense then, but then Pochettino still got to get to grips himself with the PSG squad, which obviously is a you know abundant talent, abundant attacking midfield talent as well, Di Maria and Draxler and, and so on. So it's it's you know it, it it makes it makes sort of theoretical sense, but not practical if Pochettino is actually going to say, you know what, you're going to have to spend you know weeks, potentially months, as I grapple with what is my best team, and I'm you know I've got enough on my plate, but I think. You know, I, I I do think it it's looking unlikely he's going to be involved enough at Spurs that he should be sort of wanting to hang around there long. I mean, and Dombele has that example has shown that Mourinho, you know, much as we think he's a sort of world class bearer of grudges, um, he you know he did he did sort of you know put Ndombele on the naughty step for quite a while, you know, back in back in the spring summer and and as that that's been rehabilitated. So yeah, that that is possible under Mourinho, but I'm struggling to see it happening soon with with, with Ali. And I, I agree with Gregor's wider point. I think the the big question about him is what is he anymore? I mean, I sort of that that early breakthrough was almost a sort of yeah, basically a tennis role, wasn't it? He was around the box. He was sort of lots of um, you know sort of creativity around the area certainly obviously very different in a Mourinho sort of counter-attacking team as Gregor says and I think he needs it'd be better for his career more of a valuable versatility if he if he becomes more of a number eight basically that he can stride through midfield um I, I think that is a I think for England as well I mean if, effectively I, I think if he wants to get anywhere near the England team anytime soon he, he has to redevelop as more as a, a sort of number eight midfielder um yeah and whether going to a big club like PSG say with as Pochettino sort of gets to grips with that team and that squad yeah, I think that would need to be a pretty honest conversation between player and manager, you know, assuming Spurs would even think about letting him go there. Uh, Alison, a lot was made uh, in the documentary of um, Danny Rose going to speak to Jose Mourinho and saying, if I'm not going to play, then let me go. Um, do you think Deli Ali, in your experience, is the sort of player who will be going to Jose Mourinho and saying, six months before the Euros, if I've got any chance, I need to play regularly, at least let me leave on loan? Well, his image is of someone who's far too laid back to do that, actually. I find it hard to picture that scene, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, and I may be very, being, being, you know, being very unfair on him in saying that. But if you, you know, the way he reacted in the documentary to being told by his new manager that his, you know, was in his hands, his attitude had to change. He did look like, you know... Okay, so what? I, you know, and I, 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 I mean, he probably ought to be a bit more. Um, I mean, there, there were, the, the, the word was that before the Marine game, Deli Ali had let people know he really wanted to play in it, to start in it, to be given the chance to show respect for the FA Cup and what he could do for Spurs. Now, that's a step in the right direction. That is not a sulky player who's thinking, Really, has it come to this? I'll be picked only for, um, you know, tiny, a tiny, a tiny club by the seaside um, who no one's heard of until this week. No, he really wanted to, and I know, I know, I agree completely, Gregor, that you can't read much into his actual footballing performance in that match. Of course, he should have played well, but surely his the fact he wanted to play and he was up for it and he was there was no sulking and he wanted to. You know, he had, he had an eagerness to be playing football. And afterwards, Mourinho said he liked his professionalism and his attitude. I I can't see that sort of complex sort of conversation going on from Delhi. But in a, in a way, maybe that conversation is happening with his attitude in the FA Cup game. That he's sort of saying to Mourinho, look, can you, can you take something from this? Can you see that I care? And maybe it will boost... Um, Reno's opinion of him, but if it, if it's just a, a you know a little flash in the pan and then it goes back to him just being mostly on the bench if selected at all, then 
and he does need he does need to move. And I and I get I get completely that Pochettino's got his hands full in Paris, but he does love him and he would take him. And also Daniel Levy's bound to say he doesn't want to let him go. Daniel Levy says that about every single player because he thinks it'll make the ultimate deal sweeter for Spurs. I've got to believe that Deli Ali will be leaving Spurs this month. I just think there'll be too many clubs that come in and try and get a loan to try and salvage their season maybe towards the the bottom of the Premier League. I just think there's going to be too much interest for Daniel Levy not to take the five million quid to loan him out for six months or, or four million quid to loan him out for six months because that's the sort of offer I imagine will be on the table. You know, Newcastle, West Brom, maybe Villa, you know, with a couple of injuries wanting to boost their squad a little bit. You never know. But he's just too good a player, I think, to sit on the bench and continue to do so. Um, he hasn't been of late, but I think the player's still there. And as Gregor mentioned, at just 24 years old, if they're going to get any value in, in selling Deli Alley, they're going to need to get some of that player we've seen in the past back sometime soon. Um, let's move on. We'll see if Deli Alley does end up in Paris anytime soon. But um, let's talk about Martin Ziegler writing today in The Times about players, lots of what we saw in the FA Cup at the weekend, but we've seen it elsewhere as well. Ministers concerned that players are ignoring social distancing rules. I think this will be a pretty big story this week. Hugging, they're concerned about. They're concerned about the Chorley celebrations. Martin writes in the changing rooms having a beaten Derby. Eberichi Eze attending QPR versus Fulham without FA permission, whilst not wearing a face mask, sitting in the crowds as well. And Tony Cascarino in the Times each and every Monday of course, the former Chelsea and Aston Villa frontman, says the Prime Minister himself should tell footballers to stop hugging. Interesting to see how that's going to go down. Boris Johnson getting in touch with Premier League footballers. Not sure that's a match made in heaven or where they'll tell him where to go. But Matt, what are your thoughts on the Prime Minister telling players what they should and shouldn't do? Yeah, I, I, if I was if I was in football reading this, I'd be confused by this story, to be honest. I, I would understand the, you know, I'd understand why everyone's sort of talking about it, thinking about it, what's right. But I just think if you follow through the logic that you don't want celebrations, then we shouldn't be having football. I, I just don't see that it, it is sort of, I, I don't see how you can say, yeah, a celebration is risk spreading it when the same players are going back to the dressing room together. They're tra traveling, uh, to, they're training together. They're, I mean, even, you know, and that's just among one team. I mean, during the course of a match when you are, set pieces together when you're all over each other when you're grappling with each other when you're breathing on each other so if if the set you know i can see that the celebrations look because they're an unnecessary you know unnecessary part of football i can see why you'd say okay let's let's clamp down on that because it doesn't look good but if we're actually going to look at it logically and think about it then it, say if you say celebrations are risking public health then football is risking public health so we shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't be doing, you should be getting back to, sadly, back to where we were. That, that, that strikes me as the only logical conclusion to the story, to be honest. John Yems came out um, after the game yesterday and said, uh, I've told them to go enjoy themselves and have a beer and all that. And they went, but I got in trouble. I forgot you can't do that at the moment. <laughs> and I think the part of this is, you know, we all love to see the Chorley players standing on benches, arm in arm, belting out Adele. After after every victory, and the the Crawley players spraying champagne on each other and stuff, I, I don't think at the moment, you know, it may be wise just not to let the cameras in there, and let's just focus on the football or let them do that on the pitch outside or something, you know. So just do the, just little bits, little bits of tweaks to kind of make the optics a little bit better. But I agree. I think you know there are limits to this. I think you know players celebrating for what would it be five or ten seconds after a goal um, when they travel together, when they are in change, share changing rooms, when they are training together every single day. Yes, there are protocols in place to try and sort of mitigate the risk, but, you know, it's, it's already, we're already talking about how how uh, football is kind of soldiering on and, and the, <laughs> we're doing well to have to take some joy from it. And I think if you see players unable to celebrate scoring a goal, um, yeah, I agree with Matt. What, 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 much, what is there left, really? Well, we've been, we've been here before. This is, a, this is an utterly bizarre conversation and discussion and I'm, I'm slightly perplexed why it's making headline news. When we... We're preparing for Project Restart. 
players were told initially, when you go back to training, don't tackle. There was a sort of period, you remember there was a period where they, they weren't allowed to train properly and they were really nervous about what that would mean. Because if you don't, you either play football or you don't. You can't play half-hearted football. You're far more likely to get injured and it doesn't do you, it doesn't prepare you for a real match. So why would you do it anyway? And that that didn't last very long. But it, that worried players more than um, catching uh, COVID was how on earth do you prepare for real football by playing pretend football at a distance? They did, they, that made no sense. And, and, and so it was quickly forgotten about because it was stupid. But if you remember Project Restart, they were all told, don't celebrate, don't hug. It was partly for optics and partly because they didn't, they weren't sure about what it all meant. And, and very quickly it became, as matters very eloquently pointed out, it's completely illogical to assume you can train together, have meetings together, grapple at set pieces together, and then it re- or that, you're, only, you're not going to catch it then, but you might catch it if you high five it, if you've scored a wonder goal. I mean, makes no sense at all. This, this has to be about perception and the fact that um, because, because people are not taking this lockdown as seriously as they did when it was all brand new and quite and much scarier, they're sort of again they're going to football as 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 the thing that's very high profile and telling them to stop it where we do have to worry is all the other things that footballers do which is have parties and uh sit with people outside of the club and not wearing masks that that's wrong stop doing that but if they're playing the sport that they've been asked to play to keep the nation's morale going let them play it properly yeah don't mess with the stuff on the pitch basically I think everything else, yeah, we've got to be strict. But can we also just point out once again that all three leagues before the Premier League have just had four months with no testing, no mandatory testing. And we're talking about hugging on the pitch. Come on, these guys have been playing and it's undoubtedly been playing with COVID and spreading it. And if they go out in the wider world, spreading it again. So yeah, football has been a risk to the wider public for the last four months. Now they've finally got testing in place. It's less of a risk. So yeah, I think we need a bit of perspective in this, really. Gregor, you were a left back, right? So look, let's put it into this context. You're playing left back. You're marking the right winger pretty much throughout the game in terms of what, what what's going on. Set pieces, you go on the post as you probably did. Um, you know, you're no, no, not I was a big guy. I marked people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's imagine you're a fullback that goes onto the post. Then, so okay, you're not really close to people at set pieces. Not too close, anyway. Not within a foot. Um, you're marking the right winger for pretty much the whole game. Now, if someone playing central midfield for your opposition comes onto the pitch positive coronavirus he's been marked by center mid pretty much throughout the game at set pieces and also um during the match a normal play let's call it that so you're not really going near that player who is positive during the match going on but afterwards because you used to be teammates you know you go over you have a chat with him you give him a hug you swap shirts and that's when the transmission happens. Now, obviously, one of your centre mids from your own side could come back into the changing room with coronavirus. But again, if social distancing is appropriate inside the changing room, there's a good chance you can escape that game into your next set of tests without you know, engaging in the proximity required to transmit coronavirus. Can you say strictly that there's zero logic? I mean, we're going to do a wormhole, aren't we, here? It's like... I, I just think that... See, here's my argument. Just because it's unlikely, does it mean that you then maximise the the points of contact? And that's my point. Like, no, no, no. You, and you can stop, as you say. You could, you, yeah. Maybe stop the shirt changing after a game, and you know the, these these things. Or, yeah, you probably shouldn't be standing in, in the centre circle for five minutes after the game, like hugging. But as you see, see a lot of Premier League players. We saw Stones and Maguire doing recently, looking like they were long lost friends and talking with their hands cupped over their mouth. You can maybe say, you know, guys, maybe leave that out, particularly in front of a camera. Um, but celebrating a goal? No, come on. I think you, when the whistle blows at the start until the whistle blows at the end, leave the game as it is. It, you can't tamper with the game or the emotions of it. Before a game and when the whistle blows at the end of the game afterwards, yes, I think we can get a bit stricter because as we, you know, things are changing. As we've 
seen in the news all the time. We don't really know this is a more tra transmissible uh, variant of the virus. And you know, when Derby played Sheffield Wednesday, for example, recently, and both afterwards, not long afterwards, uh, we don't know now whether it is because it's more transmissible. You need to be more careful in those circumstances, even on the pitch. But I don't think we'll ever know that. I don't really don't think we'll ever know that, to be honest. If you ban goal celebrations, then then you it does make a it does make football a bit pointless because what's what's made it palatable in empty stadiums is that you can see the players care, and for as long as the players care, then it's okay. There's that link between them and the people watching at home or on their special voucher or however they're keeping in touch with the players. But if you have if you're watching a game where there are no no fans and the players treat it like it's a practice match that really doesn't matter what are you watching if, if they don't lose themselves in the moment if they don't care enormously about the points at the end then you may as well not have football because there's, there's a contract there between it only exists because the people want to watch it and gain emotional sustenance from it if you if you strip it of all that then what you may as well just go and watch watch i don't know you may as well just go become a bird watcher or something it's not, <laughs> not relevant anymore everything everything since march has been a balance between risk and reward and the, you know you can't go too far down down one path or the other it's got to be we, we've taken out as much of the risk i think as we possibly can and well certainly now that there's a decent testing regimen in place throughout the leagues. We have certainly, but yeah, the, as we say, there's, there's, there's also. It's not just about emotional sustenance. It's about survival. It's about the game surviving and not losing. It's already losing a hundred million pound a month in the Premier League. I think so. You know, it needs to. It needs to, to continue. And it's not just celebrating. I mean, I was watching the game the other day, and you know, there was someone went down, and the, the opposition player who fouled him went to do the classic thing of going to offer him a hand to pick him up off the floor, having dumped, dumped him on it. Now, of course, you know, you need to tell a player, don't do that as well. And, you know, I mean, the, the list, you know, say if you follow through the logic of it, I can see why a celebration, as you say, it looks unnecessary. But if you just actually say, follow through the list of therefore things that if you don't want that, you don't want a player lifting one up. But, you know, you, and you could do a, <laughs> you could do a very long list of, of don'ts and, and it's that's going to start become sort of, ridiculous and, and really just impossible to enforce and impossible for a manager to sort of say right lads you know four two three one and by the way you know when you score don't do this when you foul don't do this when you you know uh, avoid these things try not to grapple with him at a corner try not to breathe on him at a throw and try you know it's I, I just think it's politicians have to decide you know um, you know <laughs> first of all is this about sort of messages to the public about taking the rules seriously or is this about health and safety among footballers and I think yeah they they if if it gets to the point where obviously players too many players are being infected um to make the league sustainable I don't think that's imp an impossibility in the next couple of weeks that we're going to see too many games you know we're going to see so many games called off potentially that it starts to end up with another brief uh, hopefully brief lockdown of football Let's hope it doesn't get there, but I think sort of talking about celebrations in number 10 isn't isn't sort of the, the big issue here. Uh, we'll see what happens again with the players. Something to think about, as Matt says, over the, the coming weeks. I, I'm sure the players will continue to celebrate, although a couple, I think, have held their hands up after scoring goals, a bit like scoring against their former team at the weekend. So maybe there's just a little bit of thought going into it from the players. At the moment, um, look, let's end on a bit of fun, a bit of FA Cup inspired fun as well. You, some of you may have seen Chorley FC's groundsman sleeping in a tent at the ground overnight in minus two degrees um, just to make sure he could stop the pitch from being totally frozen and playable at the weekend. And of course, they got the result they wanted against Derby County. So we wanted to ask you. In terms of your commitment, how far would you go for a game of football? Um, uh, we've been asking um, you on social media. I guess we'll come to your answers in a moment. But can any of you, uh, Matt, maybe I'll start with you. You know, the furthest you have gone to show your commitment to the game. Um, uh, I wouldn't say it's the um, the furthest geographically, but I did where basically following um, Cambridge United through um, 
a lot of thin. Um, basically, we were the, pretty much the worst. We we broke a record actually. It was I was gutted when it was taken in in the eighties. We um, won four and lost thirty three matches in a league season, which was um, proud proudly in Rothmans um, for for quite a few years. Um, I went to. 20 odd matches and saw one win I think uh, all season um, but anyway during during our uh, terrible slump me and a couple of mates um, we got out of school early and drove up to Stockport for an away Friday night match and turned up at Stockport and there were less than a dozen away supporters at the game at Edgley Park for, for that and there were so few of us that the players actually came over to shake our hands and thank us for coming um, uh, we were this tiny little rump of away support. So on a Friday night there, um, I mean, I, I'm sort of set myself up. The person who should really get a medal for that was my mate's mum who drove us, three of us up there, um, didn't even like football, dropped us off at the game, went for a drive around Stockport for a couple of hours and came back, picked us up and drove us home at two in the morning. Um, wherever she is, um, yeah, I, I salute her. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was positively sort of yeah. What what were we doing? Of course, we lost. I should add. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, what about you? Well, my answer has to be necessarily heavily redacted, really, and I'm not <laughs> <laughs> not sure it works great on audio, but we'll try. <laughs> because. You know, people I know and I'm related to do occasionally listen to this podcast. Um, how can I put this? Um, I have had a weakness over the years to assume that anyone who supports the team I support is necessarily a, a wonderful person. Right. I've made mistakes there. Uh, um, I've said... In order to get to a game, I've I've gone with people I shouldn't have gone with because that was the only way to get a ticket, was, was part of a group who turned out not to be <laughs> entirely um, uh, proper. You were kidnapped, um, <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> there's, some, there's some crime involved in. I'm trying to work out which one it is. Again. <laughs> Stole a mini bus, oh. jumped on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the sort of thing I'm saying. Like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. There's that you've got a spare ticket, and sure, there's only one room left in the city we're going to. Sure, it's got two beds in it. Oh no, it hasn't. That sort of thing. That's what I'm talking. That's the, that's the lens I went to for my team. Okay, I'll end it there. For the sake of Alison's marriage, let's end it there. <laughs> <laughs> Gregor. Um, I'm tempted just to say right in the journeyman column every week is a commitment in itself, travelling around the country. But the bit, probably the Fort William uh, was probably my biggest assignment in that one in that I got on, literally got on trains, planes and automobiles. I got on a train to Luton Airport, a plane to Inverness, hired a car, drove all the way across to Fort William. And as I was driving across, the rain just got heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and I got to the ground and the game was cancelled. So, <laughs> so it was the, the story was Fort William are like the worst team in the UK. Uh, I think they'd played 16, lost 15 and at the time they had a minus 105 goal difference. Um and they had minus points tally too because they'd fielded an ineligible player, so they were literally on minus points. Um, so I wasn't, ex- you know, I wasn't expecting much from the game, but I didn't even see a game uh, at all. So that was probably, you know, a voyage to Fort William, and there wasn't even a game at the end of it. You got some decent suggestions as well, I think, on Twitter. But I'll start with mine. Um, this one's from Mike, who hosts, in fact, the Watford Rookery End podcast. Who says, "My brother once gently placed his last Rolo." on the Vicarage Road turf to display his love for the team, which I thought was quite nice. You know, the last Rolo is always an important one. Giving it to your football team's uh, very special. And then a lot of people just talking about being a supporter of their own team. Um, Gregor, I don't know if you want to do the ones that you got or I can do them for you. Uh, I'll do the one from Pete Kuhig. Pete's a really nice guy. He's the chief operating officer at, at Wickham Wanderers. He was part of the, along with his uncle, he bought Wickham about, I think it was about 18 months ago. Um guys from America uh, obviously transformed Wickham's fortunes but he uh, he moved over to do the job 
full time, and then uh, COVID struck. So basically, he wrote quite simply: "My wife and kids live in Louisiana. I live in High Wycombe." Um, uh, <laughs> and he said, "You know, a full year alone is not how I envisaged 2020." Um, but um, my wife is a legend. So yeah, that's, quite, yeah. that's quite a commitment. This is an epic story, so I'll try and keep it really brief. A mate of mine has had me weeping um, with laughter more than once when he's told the story of him, uh, his 40th birthday, his wife bought in tickets to the um, Milan Derby some years back, and this was like, you know, going to be the biggest treat of all time. And uh, it basically was one horror after another. They almost missed a plane out. His wife was quite uh, a well-advanced pregnancy and she was sprinting through Gatwick to get on a plane. They then get to Milan. It's um, chucking down with rain. And when they go out on the Saturday to, to go shopping, the Duomo's shut. They can't even get in there. And basically just on and on. Anyway, he, on, on the Saturday, they get back to the hotel after a bad day of games um, uh, uh, on the Sunday afternoon. And he gets back and he just puts his, his wife gets in the bath just to chill out after a terrible day. He flicks on the telly gets a beer out the minibar and just sits down to to just to chill out for a bit and you can probably guess what's coming next flicks on the channels and he suddenly sees this sort of big stadium and he sees these two teams walking out one in uh, red and black and one in blue and black and he's sitting there thinking ah oh, they must be rerunning a milan derby or something great and then he's sort of like this looks quite live to me <laughs> and basically they'd moved they'd changed the match uh kickoff uh and uh, they hadn't picked up the notification. So next thing you know, he's screaming at his wife to get out of the bath, <laughs> calling a taxi as fast as he can, trying to call the uh, agent who set up the tickets with them, who had actually been trying to ring them and hadn't got the right number or something. Turns up at a San Siro to told his tickets are on a bus somewhere, ends up smashing his way into a uh, with a brick into a bus to try and retrieve his tickets uh, <laughs> <laughs> and ends up after 75 minutes trying to basically almost fight a security guard to get in and told he can't thrown out and he says he basically ends up watching the last minute on a tv screen at a burger van outside the san siro with his wife in tears and uh <laughs> Him basically just sort of, you know, what do you do? Do you laugh or cry? And the best about all, he wrote it all for a, a um, he's a Chelsea fan. He wrote it all for a, a, a fanzine for them. And they printed this brilliant, brilliant piece and spelt his name wrong in the byline. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> all, all in all, so, and that's not even doing the story justice. But uh, yeah, I've always been, you know, whenever I've ever had a, a bad day as a fan, I've always thought back to that story and just thought, you know, you, 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 I'm not sure you can get worse than that. Yeah, yeah, could have, could be worse. Um, listen, great story to end it on, Matt Dickinson, Gregor Robertson, and Alison Rudd. Thank you for being with me for the game podcast this week. Of course, we'll be back on Thursday. But remember, uh, before you go, if you want more award-winning journalism, get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. You can get it across all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started. We will see you on Thursday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.